Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me I've got Chris Boulay. Hey Chris, what's going on? Not much, dude. Happy to be on. Very humbled to be here. Cool. So you're a lieutenant in Moncton Fire Department, New Brunswick, Canada. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I've been in the fire service a little over 23 years. Uh, I've been with the Moncton Fire Department for the last 12, uh, currently assigned as a lieutenant on truck four. And uh, tell us about Moncton Fire Department. Uh, Moncton Fire Department, we've got five stations. Uh, we staff three engines, two trucks. Uh, the trucks are quints, so we do use them as engines as needed. Our rescue, which only has one person, a driver, and our platoon chief. We run approximately 6,000 runs a year. Uh, again, mostly medical, but we do see our fair share of work. Because rescues vary so greatly. What, what exactly is the rescue? Uh, it's a it's a heavy rescue. Um, we it is again just staffed with the driver. But if we do have extra guys on shift that day, they'll be on the rescue and then staff that unit. Cool. And uh, how many? What's your staffing like on your engines and your quints? Uh, minimum manning on the engines and quints is four man. Uh, you sometimes will have an extra. We'll have a fifth, but uh, very seldom. But uh, we do maintain the four man minimum. Gotcha. So tell us what you get on a regular alarm for say a house fire. Uh, first alarm assignment, we're going to get the three closest stations. Uh, so it doesn't, we don't uh, assign engines and trucks. It's going to be the three closest, the rescue and the on-duty platoon chief. So that gives you about 14, 14 on scene, pretty much. 14 um, at the minimum. Yeah. Cool. And then do you guys have pre-arrival assignments? Is this IC driven on what people's assignments are or what's that work like uh, for you guys? Typically the first in unit, whether it's a truck or an engine is going to be uh, fire attack. Um, we do use the, the quints heavily as, as engines. So the first in is going to be fire attack. Second in will catch the hydrant and then the other half of the crew will either pull a second line or go in as primary search as directed by the first in company officer. And then the third unit's going to either grab a second line or typically do ventilation. Tell us about your search culture there. Are you guys doing oriented search, split search, VES? I like to think that we have a pretty aggressive search culture. We get in there and try to search as quickly as we can. It's going to be sort of directed by the company officer, whether we're working as a team of two or three, whether we decide to do a split search or an orientated search. Uh, VES is just kind of making its way into the department. It's, we've done it once or twice, but it's not something that uh, is, I guess, our go-to play, I'll say. But uh, we do search every building, and it's we consider it occupied until we get in there and search and prove otherwise. Cool. Uh, we had uh, Josh Scott on from Sault Ste. Marie, also in Canada, uh, a while ago. And one of the, the podcasts we had talked about, I know Canada is heavily regulated in the two in, two out. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays in within your department and, and staffing and how you guys are doing stuff? Uh, the two in, two out is legislated in pretty much every province in Canada. Uh, typically with us, the first in unit, when they arrive, the company officer is going to do his 360. So, and the other two firefighters are going to be making entry. So we do have the two in, two out, but once that company officer is freed up, he's going to go in and join his crew. We're fairly lucky in the city that our stations are very close together that typically by that time we're having other apparatus arrive on scene. So we can maintain the two in, two out. But when we have a confirmed entrapment, like we did the other day, it's, uh, it's all hands on deck. We're going to, we won't hold to it. We'll send three guys in right away. 
since you brought it up, how close are your stations together or what's, what's it like average uh, first do working by themselves? Or is it pretty much, you know, you, you sneeze or you take a, you hit a light and, and you're going to be second due to what you should be first due to? In the, set, in the core part of the city, uh, you're going to be arriving on top of each other. A couple, there's a couple of the outlying stations where your second due might be two, three minutes behind, but you're never on scene much more than a couple of minutes before your second in is arriving. All right, cool. Well, take us back July 29th, 2020, and tell us about the call. So we got a call for a reported house fire with confirmed entrapment July 29th. Call came in shortly after four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, we responded out of my station with the, the truck and the, and the rescue. Uh, we, were, we ended up pulling up second due right behind engine two. So we caught the hydrant, but as uh, with the confirmed entrapment, while well, the one firefighter was catching the plug, the other firefighter and myself, we ran up to the house the plug, the hydrant was only about four or five doors down from the house. So as we ran up, the first in engine was already pulling a hand line to make uh, entry. We followed in directly behind them. Report was that the victim was on the second floor. And so that was our game plan was to make the find the stairs and get up there as quickly as we could. However, once we entered the structure, things kind of changed. Uh, we ran into a heavy content, a hoarder fire, we had knee deep to mid thigh clutter throughout with no pathways. We got kind of stopped dead in our tracks. Um, the engine crew was barely was able to make entry. We tried to get in behind them. We had trouble finding the base of the stairs. We went in a few feet, uh, smoke was right down to the floor. Couldn't see anything. I ended up finding the hand railing and then we were able to trace it back to the stair, the bottom of the stairs, and we had to climb over a whole bunch of debris to try to climb up the stairs. There was clothes, you know, knee deep all the way up the stairs. We had a really hard time making our way up there. Uh, at this point, my firefighter was in front of me, uh, Matt, really good guy, solid dude. He got up to the landing on the stairs, and as he was feeling around, he found the victim's head. Uh, the victim was kind of lying on the top of the stairs, on his back, head down. So he just grabbed him under the armpits and gave him a good yank and uh, knocked me backwards. I pretty much went rolling down the stairs and he came sliding down with the victim really quickly. Once we had him at the base of the stairs, we kind of sat him up and did an extremities lift and carried him out. And as we were doing that, uh, engine two was protecting the interior stairs with their hose line and third in crew was already stretching a second line as they were still searching for the seat of the fire. Nice. Uh, talk a little bit about what, um, so you, you entered the hoarder conditions. Had you guys, do you guys run medical calls at all up there? Yes. Uh, yeah. So have you encountered those type of conditions on medical calls and had you had any discussion with your crew? If we have this, here's our plan or, or what? We have had run in with many hoarders on medical calls, but this one was by far the worst I've seen, especially in fire conditions. It was like I said, there was no pathway. We were crawling over debris. It's one of those things you caught, you try and plan out in your head, but it's until you're actually faced with it with zero visibility, uh, having the tick and trying to use the tick, it was essentially useless to us. Everything was the same temperature. It was just solid white on the screen. It, it, it's just something that's really hard to prepare for. Let's talk a little bit about what you guys take in on a, uh, on a, structure fire when you're assigned search what's your typical tool uh, tool split uh, as you go in 
typically uh, the officer all have a tick and some sort of a hand tool, either a hook or a halligan. The other firefighter usually grabs the irons. And if we have the third person coming in, in with us, they'll grab a uh, hook and a can. I got you. On this one, you had mentioned that um, since the door was already forced, line was already stretched, you just went in for the grab, not taking, electing not to take uh, a bunch of tools to, to slow you down. Yeah, correct. In hindsight, it was kind of a good thing given the hoarder conditions. We probably would have lost our tools in there. Yeah, losing tools. And also, you know, we talk about it a lot that uh, sometimes when people come out of fire academies, they're taught to like swing the halligan to find for victims. And when you've got that much debris, you can't differentiate between a victim and no. a pile of clothes. So that, that's, exactly. that's pretty cool. Um, tell us a little bit. Uh, I want to find out about dragging them out. Uh, can you tell us about... Uh, the victim size, was he burned, slippery, easy to drag, anything like that that you can talk about? Uh, okay, so the victim, he would, he would have been about six feet, 220 pounds. He was a pretty good sized individual. He, he was fully clothed wearing pants and a t-shirt. Um, at the time, again, we couldn't see anything, but once we got him out, he did have some facial burns and his face was covered in soot. He was unconscious when we found him. Uh, my firefighter was able to basically grab under his arms and with one good pull we got him sliding down the stairs and with all the debris it was basically just like a slide rolling down the stairs and we got him down when we got him to the base of the stairs we pulled him a little bit further i straddled over his legs and sat him up and my firefighter was able to get under his arms grab his wrists i grabbed up under his knees we stood up and carried him out to about 10 feet to the front yard cool and that's interesting a lot of times we we teach the drags feet first method, hand first method, have an option just in case they're slippery. And, uh, and in this case, you know, when you've got a bunch of hoarding stuff, stuff on the floor, you actually need to actually lift them up to get them out because they can't mm -hmm. slide. So that's pretty cool. Um, talk, let's talk about time. Uh, can you talk about how long this whole evolution ended up taking? Um, we went back and looked at it and from the time my unit arrived on scene. We got inside, found him, extricated, got him on the front lawn. It was about three minutes and 20 seconds. But I can tell you, I'm sure you've heard it before, it felt like it was 20 minutes. Uh, it, it felt like forever trying just to get find the stairs, but it actually, you know, it was three minutes, 20 seconds, and I was very surprised and very proud of my guys that we were able to get that, that done that quickly. That's great. So takeaways from this. What did you guys discuss, um, you know, after the fact? Any lessons learned or things you'd do different uh, as a crew? Uh, one of the big ones is uh, I think we all need to be a little bit more realistic in our training. So we're a little bit more prepared when we come across these conditions. I mean, like we talked before, we, we as a crew, we talked about it, but it's not something we ever were, ever were able to simulate in training that well to get that much debris in there and try crawling around. So, I mean... Ryan Pennington does a great job teaching hoarder stuff and it's something that, you know, I'll be paying more attention to and, and trying to train more realistically on. Uh, another big takeaway for me was not to be reliant on the tick when doing a search. Um, in this case, the tick was absolutely useless for us. And uh, we reverted back to basically uh, searching with our hands, uh, going by feel, which ended up working best for us given the conditions. And, and so again, we, we can't get too reliant on technology to always be working for us. 
A um, couple other things you you made mention. You guys went straight up to the second floor based on your intel. Uh, did you did you guys call out? Did you hear any coughing? Was there any other indications that that might be where the victim was located? Or uh, we had information from uh, in dis on dispatch that he was on the second floor. And when we arrived on scene, his wife was there telling us exactly where he was. Uh, when we made entry, we tried calling out. We didn't hear. We didn't get a response. Uh, the crew on the first floor thought they did, but it ended up being nine cats that were that were making the noise. Because uh, when we got out there and found him, he he was unconscious. So we were, you know, that's we went with the intel we had, and, and thankfully that's where he was. Uh, so let's finish up by you got him outside. Did you work him? Did you pass him off? Who completed the search? So when we we got outside, we dropped him off, and we re-entered and went right back to where we were to continue the primary search. Um, we had uh, the, one of the other firefighters from my crew was there with the airway kit and the, he started administering oxygen to him. Uh, he had a pulse. He was breathing on his own, just not that well. Uh, paramedics were already on scene from the provincial ambulance service and they took over care pretty much right away from our guys. Uh, last I heard that they were going to be extubating him today and expecting him to make a full recovery. That's awesome. Nice job. Um, something I learned from Larry McCormick is the passing off of a victim. And if there's other crews in the vicinity, if there's somebody you can pass them off to, what better crew to finish the search? You know exactly where you left off. And that's a tough thing to communicate to a second search crew. Uh, so that's cool. You guys went in and, and finished that search. Uh, something definitely to think about. Are there any other, uh, any other things that you want to share with the listeners off of this call? No, I think we pretty much covered it, but uh, the, the big the big takeaway is you have to make your training realistic so you're prepared for this call because it, it really caught us off guard. We were able to adapt and, and change our mindset, but if you're not prepared for it, it, it can really throw you for a loop. So thank you, Chris, for sharing that story with us and uh, give, give props to everybody you worked with on that call. If you make a grab or assist, alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and take our short survey. This information is for us, by us, and updated real-time. If you'd like to share the story of your grab on our podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, grantschwalbe at gmail.com, residential primary search making the grab. Uh, Justin McWilliams, who's with Brothers in Battle or the, runs the Search Culture uh, Facebook page, or Nick Ledeen's also recording for us. So uh, reach out to any of us, and uh, we'd definitely like to share the story. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time. Yeah.